Um, I want to, I'm talking about readiness. I feel a responsibility to prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. I feel like uh, it's upon me as your pastor to help you to have as the foremost anticipation of your life a desire to stay ready. So staying ready involves, like for example, when I went uh, spearfishing in New Zealand, I, I knew I was already exercising, but my wife said, Jeff, I think you're supposed to do more, a little bit more. So she encouraged me to do more pull-ups, more push-ups, more work with the dumbbells, and I did, more running, more walking. Well, I'm really glad I did because it prepared me to withstand being lost at sea and having to fight against a five-mile-per-hour current in the open sea, and by the grace of God, the guy said, had you not been where you were, uh, you'd have gone over this ridge, because the pilot knew what the topography was of the bottom of, the sh of this ocean. He said, there, the next uh, wave, if you had gone just over this ridge, you'd have been shot out into the open sea. Uh, it would have been really hard to find you. Well, it was really hard to find me anyway. It was a miracle, but it would have just been like a 10 time more miracle. It would have been like, instead of just like growing out a new leg, it would have been raising the dead which God can do both, right? So, but he made the point that because I swam against the current as hard as I could for that time period, an hour and a half of solid swimming, that it put me in a better place. And I thought, wow, that's cool. I'm gonna, you, everybody, we should listen to our wives. Hold your applause, ladies. Don't, don't elbow right now. Just be quiet. Don't be the Holy Spirit Jr. Just let the Lord deal with that. <laughs> don't get it. Don't get ornery on me. But we need to be ready. Everybody say, be ready. be ready. So God will give us a prophetic heads up if we'll listen. That's why uh, there's so much training. I mean, right across the street here, there's a firehouse, and they actually have a structure that they build simulated fires. And they, uh, I've watched them put them out over and over again there. I watched them practice right there. One time I thought it actually was a fire and I, I thought a plane had crashed and I went over there and it was, they were just doing their practices. So, but thank God they're ready, they're practicing so that when the real thing comes along. Well, when I, got when I had the boating accident, the, the U.S. Coast Guard was doing uh, practice missions in the evening right there by Catalina Island with a helicopter and with swimmers and, and, and wetsuits. And they, in fact, when we gave the, the Mayday call from our radio on the phone, they thought it was part of their practice. But because they were taught to be responsive, they didn't blow it off. They responded and realized, oh, wait a minute, this is not a drill. This is not a drill. So when things are a drill, it's to prepare us for when the occasion when things uh, actually come upon us. So God is preparing us. God's preparing the way of the Lord. God wants us to be a people that are prepared, uh, where we are quick to repent. We keep strife out of our lives because that hinders the anointing. We keep judgment and criticism out of our lives because that hinders the move of the Spirit. We, we want to stay responsive and stay yielded. By me doing the push-ups, pull-ups, and dumbbells, it made me a little bit more strengthened. By running, it made my systems just a little bit more durable. I had more endurance. I didn't even know I needed it. My wife had a prophetic heads up that I needed it. Everybody say, we need it. We need it. 
Um, I remember when Billy Graham was coming into town, and so we had a two-year lead time that he was coming. So what did we do as a church? Because we love that evangelist and love the evangelism and love the word of God and the results of souls, we began to collect offerings. Let's give, let's give, let's give. And we prepared an offering. We, we, were, we had readiness for his coming. When he came, we gave the offering. And um, Dr. Paul Russell from Abundant Life Church, when he, he was the head of the clergy coalition of the Billy Graham local part of the Billy Graham uh, coordination, he came to me and he said, you know, he said, you who love Billy Graham, you, you never pushed to meet him. He said, I got hustled by so many people pushing to meet him. You never pushed to meet him, but yet your church gave the biggest offering of anybody in the bi-state area for the outreach in 1999. I said, well, I didn't know that. I wasn't certainly getting the offering ready so I can schmooze and coerce and and, uh, and hint to, to meet Billy Graham. That wasn't the intent. The intent was to pay for the soul winning. Right. It cost a lot to rent that, that arena and it cost a lot to get that done. We in fact got ready, you know, we, we who are spirit filled invited the Baptist guys to come in and teach the altar workers. We actually staged, not only did we get ready with an offering, not only did we get ready for prayer, a lot of prayer for that meeting that it would be effective, but we also invited the trainers to come in and use our church to train all the, uh, the altar workers. So all the altar worker development was taken care of here. And um, that's just the kind of action that you put into desire. Like faith without works is dead. So I wanted to, I wanted to see the anointing come on Billy Graham. I'm so grateful that he came to our city in, in our lifetime and preached an amazing message in that big football field. And it was filled. It was amazing. Our kids were prepared by, for, here's another thing, our kids were prepared by being involved with our church productions. And then uh, when they did the Salty production on Saturday, they needed children to, that knew how to, were confident and didn't get uh, stage fright and learned how to do uh, dancing and coordinated and singing and stuff like that. So. We said, well, yeah, you know, they're available. And we, some of their workers came and were members of our church. There was a mom and a daughter that were here for two years. They were wonderful members of the church. I hated when they moved away. They were so amazing. But yet we were ready. Everybody say ready. ready. Things tie together if you be led by the Holy Spirit. So these kids were ready. So then when the Salty presentation happened, Addison and Kingston, Kingston was the youngest that Salty had ever used. But he was ready. And 25,000 people were on that Saturday event, and they got out there and they did their presentation, and a whole bunch of children gave their hearts to the Lord and parents. So everybody say, live ready. Ready, ready instant and ready, in season and out of season. That's the thing. I mean, it's easy when um, you see things uh, line up, well, I better get ready. But it's really um, more important that we walk by faith, and then even though I don't see it or feel it, we walk by faith and not by sight. So I'm preaching to the choir because I just heard you sing. But I'm, I'm, I'm exhorting you. It's not a problem for me to stir you up by way of reminder, even though you already know this. I'm just restating that because it's important that you remember this and get ready. Everybody say, get ready. Get ready for harvest. Get ready for revival. Get ready for giving. Get ready for serving. Get ready to pray for people. Have scriptures in you about healing so you're bold in healing. Get ready for souls. Have the gospel in you so you could competently share the gospel with somebody and lead them to the Lord and a conversion experience. Get ready so people could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Get ready for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
so you could be used by the Lord out there in the, in the world we live in. Come on, people need what we have. You could be in line at the hardware store and God will give you a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. You turn around and say something to somebody or share something with somebody. Just be ready. Be ready to encourage people. Somebody might be suicidal. You might just give them a compliment and get them out of a ditch one day and just build them up and just encourage them. And I don't mean glibly. I don't mean superficially. I just mean led by the Holy Spirit. People need what we have. So, for example, there was another minister that came here and preached for a couple of weeks, and it was profound. And we had a heads up that he was coming, so we started to prepare the offering we gave. And then there was amazing generosity throughout the weeks. The grandson of the man said this was, these were the biggest offerings of any of these types of meetings anywhere in the country. Well, we didn't know that. We weren't competing with anybody. We are just trying to be generous. We are just trying to be ready. I read in an article in the Los Angeles Times. I just reread this, interestingly, yesterday. And I remembered the writer. They came here and they were fascinated by the flood of 93. And they said that uh, the leadership responsibility fell upon Pastor Jeff Perry from St. Louis Family Church to coordinate the volunteers. Well, it actually didn't fall on me. The Lord prophetically had been telling me through prayer and preparation something was coming up. I did not know the detail of it. Then I got some detail. We're going to go do flood cleanup. I didn't know it was going to be right in our own doorstep. I didn't know it would be right here with the about 48 homes and the 283 businesses, which compromised or comprised 5,000 jobs at the time. The sense of loss was so intense. I thought it was going to be St. Charles or St. Genevieve. I really did. I thought we were going to get in some, probably some vans and get about 12 or 15 of us, and we we're going to go scoop some mud out of houses. I didn't even understand it. But I thought, well, we could go do it. I little knowing that we were going to be required, like Joseph, to provide famine relief over the whole region for two years. You just don't know going into a thing. But God knows. It gets quiet. You're absorbing this because it's stimulating spiritual things taught in spiritual words. My spirit, I'm speaking. God's spirit is speaking. And he's, I'm speaking spiritual thoughts with spiritual words to your spirit. I'm not just titillating your mind. I'm not just stimulating your, your physicality. This isn't just soulish. This is, in fact, prophetic prompting from the same one that raised up John the Baptist as a voice crying in the wilderness for the first visitation. And we're to be ready for his next coming. And we that have our hope fixed on him will purify ourselves just as he is pure. And I'll tell you another thing, because I'm in the flow. There were a couple of people I adore in the New Testament. One was named Anna, and the other was named Simeon. These were holdouts. These were biblical, godly, honoring Jews that were in the temple day and night. Anna was a widow, and ever since her widowhood, she just devoted herself to service in the temple. But you know what they longed for? Simeon said, God promised me I'd get to see the Messiah before I died. So when little beautiful Mary and sweet, obedient Joseph came in with baby Jesus into the temple to dedicate him and do those observances of Judaism, they exuded with joy. They said, now I can, I can go now. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. I've seen the deliverance. And um, there was a couple, there was a generation that saw the first coming. There will be a generation that will see the, the gathering up of the church and the second coming of the Lord Jesus and we have got to have an understanding from that first coming of those anticipations and those senses of readiness. The Bible says that God doesn't like it when a son will sleep during harvest. So passivity and uh, apathy, 
brain fog, mind numbness will try to come on us. In fact, when the flood of 93 hit, I did get hit with, uh, with brain fog. I got hit, with my, it was mind numbing. And I, then I now forever know what it feels like to go through a natural disaster, because we had one. And that it was so difficult to muster the energy to make quality decisions. All of a sudden, in that bad context, I had to make vital decisions. That's where the help of the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where his making us ready will help us to be sensitive on the micro, the medium, and the major levels. How many of you want to be ready in the micro, medium, and major levels? Well, God's getting ready. He's looking for people. And I'll tell you, right now, there's a cleansing going on in this church. And God is preparing us very similar to Gideon's army. And God has moved, the people have moved on that are in fear, people that have been, that are ignoring, uh, they had to stay back at the camp, but there are people that will proceed, that will know and have sensibilities coordinate to and uh, responsive toward this hour. And um, this is a calibration moment, and the Holy Spirit is helping us. How many of you would like to be part of that? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor be put away from you, and maliciousness. If anybody's murmuring, don't listen to them. If anybody's a Joshua and Caleb, fellowship with them. I had my kids learn how to play the guitar, and I found Dave Williams, who was an excellent guitarist. He was a teacher of science, so he was like a logic genius. He understood music theory. He was a cool, long-haired, bohemian, jazz, blues, rock player. But I wanted my kids to get around somebody that was so excellent that their traits would rub off on them. And that's what the Lord is doing right now. He brought up, he brought up John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness. It was so God-ordained that it, he didn't have to go to the marketeers to teach them how to sell their brand. He went the opposite direction and to the wilderness. And it was so anointed that they came out into the wilderness to hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So this is the law of, it's counterintuitive. What, what the world is saying, this is how you do it. It's like on Mount Carmel near Haifa, modern day Haifa, when, when uh, Elijah had to address Jezebel and Ahab had come on the scene. Jezebel was a Baal worshiper. Ahab was soft and a pushover. Her dominance came in and she wanted to bring an evil syncretist blend of a merger of Jehovah worship with Baal worship. And the Lord was, with that was not pleased. And he insisted that that syncretism be uh, excised away from itself. So he said, listen, get up on that mountain and call fire down. They, Baal is the God of power. Most and many of the things we're seeing today have bowed to, if the, the devil said, these are my kingdoms and if you bow to me, I'll give them to you. You wonder about exaltation. There's an exaltation that comes from the small g God of this world that's temporary, it's evil, it's harsh, it doesn't last. And we need to understand that in Babylon, uh, Daniel, it was weird for Daniel in Babylon. It was weird for Paul in Rome. It was weird for Joseph in Egypt, but God took care of all of them. And so here we are in this moment where Elijah stands alone as the singular voice in the midst of all these Baal worshipers. And he, he says, well, you, whoever's God is God will bring fire down onto this altar. So they put their stuff out there, and he put his wood out there on the altar. Now, I've got a big stand of firewood we, put, we, we split and we put up by my house. And I put a tarp over part of it, but most of it is exposed to the elements. So a lot of it gets soaked with, with water. So guess which wood I go to if I want to build a fire after it's rain? I go to the dry wood, right? It would be foolish for me to go get the wet logs. And yet... Elijah 
poured water on the logs. This, in fact, if you want to know the leadership model of this pastor, that's the leadership model that God has led me on. Do commercials without the name of the church to honor the other churches as well, not to ever compete with other churches, not to steal sheep from other flocks, not to do the new and improved uh, marketing model. You've got to understand my heart on this. I love this church. In fact, I live here. I believe it's a very, uh, there's a huge responsibility that's coming upon us. That's why God's do, going to the trouble and privilege of purging and refining and getting us ready because he is in fact getting us ready. Can you hear this? I hope you're happy about this because it's exciting. I'm thrilled about it. God has been developing us and training us and preparing us for such a time as this. But he, he'll do it by his own power, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. Not by human power. People have tried to tell me, do it this way, Pastor Jeff. Come over here and do this, Pastor Jeff. Come over and do it. I've had probably, I want to say, 57 million of those. And uh, I've just tried to be led by the Holy Spirit. People try to control me. People try to impose on me. People try to seek power of suggestion. It's like, I want to be in God's timing. Well, do you run the risk, Pastor Jeff, of procrastinating? Do you run the risk of being in the flesh? Do you run the risk of missing it? Yes. That's why I walk by faith. Because I want to keep humble before the Lord in case I am missing it. I want to make sure I repent. That's why you should pray for a leader like me so that I won't miss it. And that if I'm missing it, God will help me to hit it. I'll pray for you for that. You pray for me for that together. We'll get the job done. Because it's all about dependence on the Lord. But Paul said, when I came to you in Corinth, he said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My, my preaching was not in uh, words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The inception of Jesus coming on the scene. He had the lead guy go out into the wilderness, the opposite direction of what you would do. He went out there, and the farther out he went, the farther out the people went to meet him. And there was a baptism of repentance that created a, an atmosphere prepare you the way of the Lord. And at the right time, Jesus goes out there. He's baptized in that context. The heavens open. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God spent 30 years preparing Jesus for three years of ministry. 30 years preparing Jesus for three years of ministry. 40 years as a shepherd, Moses, for those moments of leadership in the transition of Israel. Years for Elijah in the wilderness. 13 years for Paul in the backside of the desert in Arabia. Decades of preparation. 17 years for Joseph. Everybody say, I'm being prepared for a certain something that God has for me. And I'll stay sensitive and yielded, obedient and compliant to his promptings, to the Holy Spirit. I won't grieve him nor quench him. But I won't try to manufacture it either. Don't have to hype it up. You don't have to be still and stagnant. We just need to be led and be obedient. Everybody say obedience is better than sacrifice. Listen, we got to babysit our grandson last night. And Mimi, his grandmother's behavior, reminded me of the woman that must have prepared the bag lunch for the boy with the five loaves and the two fishes. Because... Through the 70s and 80s, a lot of real uh, capable 
women in particular during the, the women's movement and sort of the shift in work attitude and potential and you know that kind of thing. I married somebody who's highly skilled, who put herself through college, got a, a teaching degree, went and worked as an accountant, had a, a traveling job with a fundraising, uh, with a medical kind of a, I don't know how you'd word it, but, but she had a lot of roles. But there's nothing like a lady making a lunch to make sure conscientiously that her kid has nourishment. He gets five loaves and two fishes. Shows up at a meeting where this rabbi, this this guy from Nazareth is sharing, and 5,000 men are there, so maybe double that with their wives and their kids, maybe add another couple, so maybe 10, 12,000 people are there. That's like the Riverport Amphitheater. And uh, there's one person out there preaching, and everybody's been listening for three days, and nobody's eaten. And he, Jesus, the disciples say, Lord, we gotta break this up. This has been a great festival, but we gotta send them out to go get some food. There are no food trucks here. There's no 7-Eleven anywhere near. There's no Taco Bell. So have them run for the border somewhere else. And he said, let you feed them. You feed them. Well, we don't have anything to feed them. And he said, then a little boy came up and gave him five loaves and two fishes. Now, how many of you have ever heard that story? 5,000 people were fed that men, fed that day. And then the, the unbelieving doggy bag carriers, the, the, the disciples had to have giant doggy bags to just remind them that God does over and above what we give. But how about that boy? He was willing to give. So here's what, not only did his mom give him the food and take care of his meal, she apparently taught him the value of giving because he did give. And he gave sacrificially, he gave. And when he gave, it pleased the Lord. We're still talking about it today, right? So I'll tell you some of the greatest miracles I've seen in my ministry didn't look like ministry. Some of the greatest manifestations of God leading through me were in, with dirt on my, under my fingernails and boots on my feet. And uh, God has called me to not, to be kind of iconoclastic. I just don't relate to about 80 to 90% of what everybody imposes on me and has for the last 40 years of full-time ministry. What I do actually identify with though is that we have a Holy Spirit who takes from Jesus and reveals to us and we have this roadmap called the written word of God that's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that as we seek him, we can find him. And so this is why I want to encourage you guys right now. There are many voices, but let's listen to his voice. There are many directions, but let's identify with and see where God would have us go when there is a fork in the road. Where the, where, this is the way walk ye in it is what I want to hear. And I don't want to misspend my energies finishing this point. In 1993, when the floods were happening up and down the Missouri River and the Ohio Valley, somebody got on the news and said, civic leaders and pastors and people like that, if you have groups under your care, gather them and, and get them to go out and do sandbagging. And at one point, there was a tone of shaming. So I listened to it, and I, being wanting to be conscientious, wanting to be good civically uh, responsible, felt it. And I, yet I went away and I prayed about it. The Lord said, do not sandbag. And he said, but I want you to lead the people in cleanup. So when he said that to me, I, I got the church ready. I got up and said, hey guys, with the pulpit was over there. Children's ministry was over there. There were about 800 or so seats. It was too small. And I got up and I said, hey guys, August is gonna be cleanup month. And that's exactly how you responded. <laughs> And this is exactly how I felt. Zero reinforcement. 
We had never done anything like that. At that time, it was how many cassette tapes are you selling? How many booklets have you written? How many meetings do you run? How many people are you running? All that kind of stuff. And it's like God was calling me to the beat of a different drummer. If a pastor or a church or a family or a husband or a wife or a business owner or a student or anybody in, the, in God listens to the Holy Spirit, it won't just be a peer pressure mob mentality life. It'll be a something sweet and supernatural. It'll be something that God will provide for it and pr create an atmosphere for it. And we need to be receptive to it. Paul was different than Peter. He was called to the Gentiles. Peter was called primarily to the house of Israel. And so there was tension with that, but they both yielded to what God had called them to do. Paul, you could read over and over again, refused peer pressure. He said when he was called, he didn't go to those who were the super apostles or to the, to the big headquarters. He went to seek the Lord, to hear from God. He wasn't rebellious against authority. He was just trying to hear from God. And he said once he heard from God, he did not confer with flesh and blood. So that means he didn't go get other people's opinions in order to gauge and see what God was wanting him to do next. I hear all the voices you do. I see all the people telling everything that they're saying. I see the early emergers trying to be the first to set and establish precedence in leadership. I see the winds of doctrine. I see what you're seeing. I hear what you're hearing. I feel what you're feeling. Yet, listen, let the main and major influence of your life be the written word of God and the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Learn to get those divine directives from him. If you church hop and you like one more than the other, go to the one God's called you to and stay there. If you like this one, stay here and feed here. Listen and feed and supplement, but make sure you're not uh, getting confused. Where there's a bunch of dual vision, it creates division. So we need to learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. So let's be led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he'll lead us. A good shepherd will guide us. This is our moment. This is a preparation stage, and our hour is coming upon us. And we're about ready to step over into some profitable, fruitful, uh, effectual, achievement-oriented things as a people. You are in your personal life about ready to see some strides of fruitfulness and achievement. You're going to get connected with people you're going to be able to lead to Christ. You're going to get people you're going to be able to pray for and see breakthrough and experience the richness of God coming in and turning things around for people because you're anointed and ordained to be deliverers. You're a, you have a ministry of reconciliation. You are an ambassador for Christ. You're a living epistle, and you slap these, that we slap these, these masks on our faces, and uh, it doesn't diminish the light one bit. Even though there's a lampshade on, the light's still blasting out. People are still trying to read us, so we're going to, and the eye is the lamp of the body, so we're just going to have a smile with our eyes. Just twinkle right out of those eyeballs, man. As weird and goofy, my wife said to me yesterday, you know, masks do not make people look cool. She's right. It's just goofy. We all, I said, we look like turtles. But wear them we must, or we will, and then eventually all this is going to be behind us, and we're going to go forward with having learned it. And... Um, Thank God for healing. Thank God, you know, that it's not 3.8 million Americans. We don't have a big, huge, like, Ebola thing. Thank God for that. In the Spirit, God's preparing us. In the Spirit, God's making us ready. And so we're engaging with that. We're preparing for that. You sense the tone of things is changing. Dick Mills prophesied to me several times before he died. 
that God was going to do things here that were unprecedented. There was no reference for it in antiquity, nothing in the contemporary, nothing you could even anticipate. It's going to be a new thing. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I'll even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hallelujah for that. So it's good what God's doing. It's good what God's saying. Can you guys hear it? Are you guys with me? You flowing? All right. Am I all right? I say anything bad about masks? I wear mine. Am I okay? Am I helping you out? Okay. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 talks four times about readiness. So let's turn to that. And this is about that same thing we did with Billy Graham and when we had these meetings here in town. We gave an offering. We prepared an offering. And that's what they did. They had great generosity. And it said in chapter 8, verse 11, it said, but now finish doing it also. That's preparing the offering. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what, is, what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So we each do our part, in other words. That little boy with the five loaves and two fishes didn't go to the meeting thinking there's going to be a spectacular miracle out of his mom's bag lunch, which was basically a couple filet of fish sandwiches. And, uh, but yet God turned that little seemingly nothing thing. Last night, my wife was fixing a meal for... Trent, he got up from a nap and we were babysitting him and uh, Patsy said, he's going to have to eat before he goes to bed. I said, he already ate. She said, he ate at three o'clock. It's eight o'clock now. I said, thank God. I thought, thank God we would not be alive if it wasn't for mothers and grandmothers. Because <laughs> I'll not eat for 12 hours, you know. But anyway, the gnocchi, she, had, she found potato gnocchi in the freezer. She, she cooked it up in the air fryer. She, she salted it up. She cooked it, browned it just right, made it cook through. She said, is this okay? I said, it's okay for a baby. No, nah, let's cook it some more. She cooked it some more. Then she made some peas. Put some, should I put butter in it? Yeah, he said butter. So she put butter in it. She got a confirmation on that. Then, then, uh, she, and then I cut up, I contributed, I feel good about that, some chicken breast, and I cubed it up so it was bite-sized and not a choke hazard. Hallelujah, at least I knew that. Patsy said, get me the salt. So when she salted it, pop, his eyes lit up. He was eating that stuff. He, we, we got a bowl that had a magnet on the bottom. Thank God whoever invented that magnet, they watched me dump the spaghetti on my head when I was a kid. So it was stuck on there. He kept moving it, trying to pick it up, you know. And uh, so he finally, it, was, it wasn't hot, but he thought it was. So he's going, <laughs> it was really cute. And then he wolfed it down. He wolfed it down. And when he was eating it, he, he had that look in his eyes because Mimi put some extra spice in it. And uh, I think about the value of something like that, that we, we devalue. I think about just preparing something and making it, putting something a little bit extra in it. When Billy Graham came to town, we started receiving offerings two years before he got here. So that when he did get here, we were able to be contributors that made that meeting happen, helped make that meeting happen. And we contributed to creating an atmosphere to help train the altar workers so that when souls got saved, they would thoroughly hear a follow-through message that would get them to be anchored and be disciples. We trained those kids in our our festivities so that it might just maybe have an opportunity for another expression. Does that make sense? 
Hallelujah. So this is what I'm saying. I hope you understand where I'm coming from. That preparation is important. We prepare our offering. I brought an offering intending to give today. I'm, you, you, you come intentional. You come with preparation. You go into a room. You take a big, deep breath, and you say, okay, Lord, show me what to do. Show me where to go. Show me what to say. Show me who to talk to or who not to talk to. And as we do that and we prepare our hearts, 